We are continuing in our Christmas study, and so it's many selected texts. So if you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 2, we'll be in verses 1 through 8. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Sorry, not 1 through 8, 8 through 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Get my numbers all wrong this morning. Uh, last week, we looked uh, mainly at Mary and Joseph, and we looked at their journey. This is the journey to Bethlehem is uh, kind of our series here. And it's uh, not so much other people's journey to Bethlehem, but us journeying to Bethlehem to, to come in uh, on their story and see what was really going on. Uh, but last week we saw that while many depictions and, and thoughts of Jesus' birth are, are only of how cute and cuddly uh, and, and joyous it was, <clears throat> there was uh, really many difficult things going on. It was a difficult journey. Uh, we remember that they had <clears throat> an embarrassing family. We saw that from the genealogy, they had some very embarrassing people in their line. And uh, so that, that was a, a big part. We saw that there was a, a scandalous pregnancy. Not that there really was a scandal, but that it appeared to be scandalous uh, that this virgin uh, was with child, uh, Mary. Then there was the rude interruption that all of a sudden there is a census uh, that they must travel. I believe it was uh, 55 miles. Pregnant Mary uh, with Joseph uh, traveling 55 miles. And then, of course, the time for uh, giving birth comes, uh, and there's no room for them in the inn, the Bible says. There's no place for them to stay, and so they end up uh, giving birth to uh, Jesus with a bunch of animals around, and then Jesus is laid in a manger, a feeding trough, and so that was a seeming rude interruption. Then we saw even the inhospitable government. We didn't spend much time there, but uh, you have the king uh, of uh, Israel, the king of the Jews, uh, at that time, uh, wants to kill uh, this baby that has been born, and so they have to flee. But our point was, even amongst all that chaos, God was bringing the greatest gift into the world, namely his son, Jesus Christ, the, the savior of the world. And so I reminded you uh, that whatever uh, embarrassing or scandalous things may be in your life, God is not afraid to use you. He used many uh, embarrassing, um, even uh, scandalous or seeming scandalous uh, events. Um, and he, he just wasn't afraid to, to use those things. So never feel like you are uh, now outside of God being able to use you. Uh, and then we also talked about the fact that we can trust God. You think about rude interruptions in our lives. They're only seeming rude interruptions because what, what seem like interruptions or roadblocks are really God leading us on the path we need to be on. Again, just think about it, rude interruption. They had to go down to Bethlehem. It had been prophesied hundreds of years before that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. So it was fitting. It was God's path that they have to go down to Bethlehem, and he was to be born of a humble birth. And so all these things happened, and it was really following God's plan, even though from their perspective, it was a rude interruption. And so whatever interruptions are in your life, don't be afraid of them. Don't uh, be bitter about them. It is really God leading you on his good path. And we said because of that, we can continue to walk and live 
faithfully. We can continue to have hope and joy and peace in our lives and so respond with hope and joy and peace to those around us and to the situations around us because God is in control. And so that was the journey to Bethlehem that we saw as we focused on Mary and Joseph and Jesus, this difficult uh, situation. This week, our journey to Bethlehem is going to take us into the lives of the shepherd men out in the field. And I, I was thinking about this, even just on my drive here this morning, of uh, this, this, this has become, once again, a, a cute little story. A cute little story about some shepherds and angels. Ah, you know, it, it's, I mean, we, we need to remember this was a real event. Real people, real I mean, I hate to say it, but real smelly men that are out in the field working with their sheep, working uh, maybe in the cold or whatever. And then really, I mean, just imagine this, really angels, boom, you know, like our first an angel. I mean, that's crazy. Then angels and the, this praise. I mean, this is an astonishing event. Uh, and then getting, of course, to meet the Savior of the world. So do your best to take this out of cartoon characters or out of a cute, cuddly scene. Uh, but think of this as real events with real uh, ramifications, real uh, meaning behind them. And so we're going to read together now Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20, uh, and we will see uh, what's going on with the shepherds, and then we will study it. So Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region, that is, in the same region where Jesus was born, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel of the, of the Lord, sorry, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. That is God's word. That is the story, the journey of the shepherds. And we're going to, to step into that. We're going to make our own journey uh, here into God's word and, and watch their journey and all that God was calling um, and doing for them. So let's pray together and ask God to help us in the study of his word. Father God, we are people that are often so caught up in life, the cares of this world, focused on the trials and troubles, focused on material goods and earthly pleasures. But God, let us 
take this time now to focus on what is real, what is true, what is lasting, what is solid. Let us focus on you, your son, your glory. And God, may our lives be transformed and be worshipful because of it. This I pray in your son's holy name. Amen. So again, we've just read this story of the shepherds, their, their journey that they are called to go on to, to see this child. And so I want to draw out for us uh, four points about this journey. What, what, what were the elements of this journey they were called to go on? And how does that apply to our own lives? And that's what we will see as we uh, step into their world. I'll go ahead and give you uh, the, the first point. Someone will. Well, I'll tell you, and maybe it'll come up there. I don't know. Uh, number one, it is a journey for the humble. It's a journey for the humble. A journey for the humble. We, we see this really just uh, in the beginning. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Then we see it skip a little further. The angel says to them, and he gives them this news of the Savior. But I just want to even, you know, pause for a moment on, on that, uh, I guess, uh, just word there in the middle of the first verse, uh, verse 8. The, 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 there were these shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock. I mean, th this should be shocking. Douglas kind of mentioned it uh, in the song. These are, these are shepherds. They are not high in society. And yet this angel of the Lord is coming to them. We, I, want, I just want to kind of think about that for a second. Being a shepherd uh, in that day was not a prestigious job. I mean, you think about why would a person be a shepherd? Because they just love sheep and animals. No, in general, the reason a person would be a shepherd in that day is they were either born into it that is their 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 father was a shepherd and probably his father was a shepherd and so like that's sort of what they got funneled into and it's hard to break out of that or they couldn't do anything else they're they're, they're kind of uh, wandering around you know uh, jobless and hey you need you need a shepherd you need a hired hand and and that that's what they would do it's it's didn't really i mean i'm not saying there was no skill involved in being a shepherd but uh it was work that most anyone could do if they were uh, just simply willing. And shepherds at this time, we understand from historians, uh, kind of have a bad rap. Uh, I know we've talked about this before, but shepherds uh, were not thought highly of. They were thought to be uh, dishonest. They were thought to be thieves. In fact, uh, it's known that they weren't allowed to testify in court. That's what was thought of them. They weren't intelligent enough to know the facts. They weren't honest enough to relay those facts uh, truthfully anyway. So at this time, shepherds are not even allowed to testify in court. And I even think about this uh, as we're studying through Genesis in our normal series. We're about to get to this. Uh, but in Genesis chapter 46, uh, verses 33 and 34... But in Genesis chapter 46, Joseph is telling his brothers, hey, you're going to meet Pharaoh, brothers and father, you're going to meet Pharaoh, and he's going to ask you what you do. 
He's going to ask you your profession. When he says that, here's what you need to tell them. And here's the thing is he's wanting them uh, to live in Goshen, which is very close to this capital city where Joseph is and where Pharaoh is. But he still wants them to have some separation from the Egyptians. And we'll look at that um, when we get there, get back to Genesis. But this is what he wants. He wants them to have some separation from the uh, Egyptian people. And here's what he says, Genesis 46, uh, 33 and 34. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers. And he, that's end quote. In order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Huh. So even way before uh, the time of Jesus, you have the Egyptians thought themselves too high to associate with shepherds. And so he says, okay, so we want you separated from the Egyptians, not, not intermingling with them uh, as it were. So we want you separated in this land of Goshen. And the way that we can accomplish this is by telling Pharaoh that we are shepherds. He'll have no problem putting us over here in the corner. It was a nice land, Goshen, but it was, it was away from uh, the Egyptians. And so even the Egyptians despised uh, shepherds all those years ago. By the way, think of the irony here that Israelites now in Jesus' day despise shepherds. But where did the Israelites come from? <laughs> they came from shepherds. We, we saw that, see that there in Genesis 46. Their forefathers, literally the fathers uh, of the tribes of the, the land of Egypt, of the nation of Egypt, are these shepherds, and now uh, shepherds are despised by the Israelites. Oh, well, ironic, but there you go. Now, so th these, are, these are low. I'm, by the way, not going to attach current-day occupations to shepherds. That wouldn't be helpful, would it? But just think about uh, the, the maybe the what you consider maybe the, the lower-class jobs or the, the, the lower-class people or whatever, and th that's, that's these shepherds, Okay? And how does God treat them? We read again, verse uh, 8 and 9. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Okay, we're going to pause there for a moment again. This is not a common occurrence. I, I know I've said this many times uh, uh, preaching. This didn't happen all the time. Angels appearing... I mean, it kind of was happening in this uh, period of time. It had uh, appeared to Zechariah, uh, the father of John the Baptist. It had uh, appeared to uh, Mary and to Joseph. And now it's appearing to these shepherds. But that's not a big list of people that are having angels appear to them. Uh, this is not a common occurrence. And this is happening to these shepherds. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. We don't know what form this angel took uh, uh, angels are, are spiritual beings, and so uh, did they take the form of a, of a man that's, you know, uh, speaking to them like gloriously? I doubt it because of the fear that comes upon these shepherds. Uh, most likely, uh, th this angel is, is looking quite mighty and ferocious and even glorious, you could say. He appears to these shepherds. And then something else amazing happens. To these humble men, it says, an angel, verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. Please don't just skip over that in your brain. Please don't just read, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Okay, so there's some light 
This is absolutely huge in biblical history that the glory of the Lord is shining around them. I could definitely spend the rest of the sermon on that alone. So I will. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, I'm going to just give you a brief highlight of why this is so important. We know, uh, by the way, the glory of the Lord, what it's, it's talking about shining. This is light. Later, uh, rabbinical people called this the Shekinah glory. You've maybe heard that word, Shekinah glory. So this is the presence of God in the form of light. And we see this all through the Bible. This is what had led the Israelites through the wilderness, right? Uh, the, the, the Israelites uh, are, are freed from Egyptian captivity, and there's this, this pil- pillar of light leading them around. Cloud by day, light by, uh, fire by night. This is the light that had descended upon Mount Sinai for the giving of the Mosaic Law. I would love to read for you that passage, but we are talking this cloud descends and this light and flames are, it appears as though the, the whole mountain is on fire. Mount Sinai is on fire. And this is the glory of the Lord that has descended upon it. And Moses is now to go up into that and talk with God. Speaking of Moses, this is the glory, this is the light that literally made Moses' face shine. After he would talk with God. You remember that? He had to wear a veil uh, when he'd be around the people. Because his, his, his face was glowing with the glory of this Lord. This is the glory of the Lord that filled the temple after King Solomon finished constructing it. The glory of the Lord fills this temple. This is the presence of God saying, I'm here. I'm dwelling with you. The same, by the way, happened in the tabernacle uh, in, in the, the wilderness days. But, but here in the... the, the uh, The temple, the the actual temple, the glory of the Lord fills it. And that's God saying, I am here. I'm here to meet with you. But many years later, when, when the Israelite people have been rebelling over and over again, they've been, uh, cast into exile, Assyria and Babylon uh, take over them and, and take them into exile. But some of them are sent back and they rebuild a, a temple there in Israel. But they continue in their rebellion. They even are using the temple, according to uh, Ezekiel, they're using the temple for idol worship, for worshiping other gods. They're in the temple, but they are turned and they are worshiping the sun, it says in in Ezekiel. And then Ezekiel sees in a vision the glory of the Lord leaving the temple. The glory of the Lord leaves the temple. It goes slowly as though it doesn't want to leave, but it goes. And what does that signify? My presence is no longer with you. My, my blessed presence is no longer with you. This glory. Why do I tell you all that? Because I don't want you to skip over what it's saying there in verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. I'm not saying God was not operative in the world up to this point. I'm saying his, his glory had left. His, his blessed presence had left. And here it is, breaking back into the world. Back in, in Bethlehem now. The glory of the Lord, the presence of God was re-entering 
It was re-entering specifically in the person of Christ. We'll, we'll get more to that in, in a moment, but I'm going to keep going here. So we have these amazing things, an angel, the glory of the Lord. Then the angel speaks to them, not just, a, 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 not just seeing him. The angel said to them, this is verse 10, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Okay, this is, this is good. Verse 11, For unto you has been born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is so big. The, the, this, the, the language used here, again, I don't have time to break everything apart because we're, we're moving through this, but this is in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, that is the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Lord. This is, uh, again, just the word that would be used for, for Yahweh, who is Christ the Lord, the Anointed One. This is the one that they've been waiting for. This is the one that all the prophets had told about. This is the one that, again, 400 years of silence and, and waiting. We need a Savior where, I mean, the way they're even thinking of it, they're under political oppression, but they're even more so under spiritual oppression. And now there is a Savior, the Anointed One of God. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. What is that? That's an invitation, okay? That is saying, go and you will find this Savior who is Christ the Lord. You will find him wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. By the way, you think of the uh, contrast there. You've got this glorious angel, the glory of the Lord shining around them. There's a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And he'll be a little baby wrapped in claws, laying in a feeding trough for animals. But that, that's what they're told. This is an amazing message. This is an amazing invitation for them. You get to meet the Savior. You get to meet the Savior of the world. He is Christ the Lord. Personally meeting the Savior of the world unbelievable honor for these shepherds i uh, grew up riding bmx freestyle bmx just means i did tricks on bikes i didn't race bmx bikes I, I did tricks on them and so i was what you might call obsessed with it that's pretty much all i did with my time and uh that, that's what i did with my money was buy bike parts because i'd break them and so that was really my, my childhood was, was riding bmx and I, I lived over by Hamilton Place Mall, uh, overlooking the mall there. And I remember one day uh, riding my bike to uh, the bike shop. And it turns out there was an event there. They had set up all these ramps and, and stuff out in the parking lot there at Hamilton Place Mall. And the, the star BMX person, there were skaters as well, uh, but the star BMX guy was a guy named Josh Harrington. Uh, he'd been in the X Games and um, he won some medals and, and done all this. I mean, I knew who he was, right? Uh, and, and I was just so excited uh, that I get to see him ride in person. And so we did. We, we sat there, we watched him ride, do these unbelievable tricks. Uh, and then afterward, there was a time that you could go in to uh, get an autograph. And so um, I'm like, okay, this is awesome. We, I get to meet this guy and, and uh, get an autograph from him. So we do that. We, we get autographs, me and a friend that uh, rode together. We get autographs. And my friend 
way more bold than me. I'm, I'm a, believe it or not, can be shy in, in these moments. He's like, hey, we're from around here and we ride out here all the time. You want to come ride with us? And you know what Josh Harrington said? Yes, I'll, I'll come ride with you guys. So he did. We went out after he got done with his uh, autograph signing time. Um, he, he came and rode with us uh, out around Hamilton Place. Did We'd always, you know, tried tricks on these things. He goes and just like does way bigger than anything we've ever even imagined on these obstacles or whatever. And it was so cool. I mean, that was just one of the highlights of my childhood. You know what I think of that now when I think about meeting the Savior, Jesus Christ? Big deal. Josh Harrington, he's a dude. Learned some tricks on a bike. <laughs> Won some medals. I don't care. I mean, uh, cool, good, good for him. That, that's awesome. I'm not trying to talk him down or anything, but I mean, truly, as I, as I think about meeting the Savior of the world, Christ the Lord, it pales in comparison so much that it's hardly a blip on my life's radar anymore. I mean, it took me a minute to even think of anyone cool that I'd met in my life, you know, because uh, I was <laughs> going to give you an example. I mean, that just really means almost nothing to me anymore. I, I, I'm sure I still have that autograph somewhere, but I, don't, I have no clue. Uh, where that is. This is the most amazing honor. This is way better than meeting any rock star, movie star, sports hero, political uh, leader. This is meeting the savior of the world. And I don't know, again, how much these shepherds understood, but this was meeting God in person. Unbelievable. And here's the amazing thing. All of this, the angel appearance, the glory of the Lord, the angelic message, the meeting of a Savior, the, the, the offer to meet the Savior, invitation, all to shepherds, the humblest of people. It's amazing that I believe some people will miss out on God because they're not like shepherds. They're not lowly. God loves to come to lowly people and to lift them up. God loves to come to lowly people who, who believe they have nothing glorious to set their eyes upon and say, hey, look at me. I think this is a parallel almost uh, to where Jesus says, uh, unless you're like one of these children, you will not enter the kingdom. That was talking about childlike faith, okay? You have to have the childlike faith that just depends and believes and trusts. Here I believe we have shepherd-like humility that we need to have. I want to invite you to think less of yourself, <laughs> to put yourself in the position that God would be pleased to show himself to you. And by the way, uh, just like these angels did for these shepherds all these years ago, we too are invited to meet the Savior, aren't we? And we actually get that invitation not from angels, but from Jesus himself. John 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. That is, Jesus calls out to us by name. And I, I don't really have this in my notes, but I wanted to make a point of it. In verse 11, it says this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. Unto you, friends, put your name there. 
unto you, Jeff, unto you, Sonny, unto you, Mike, is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You are invited to personally meet this God, this Savior who took on flesh. But I believe we need to have the humility of shepherds. This is a journey for the humble, okay? Jesus doesn't want to meet with us because we are so great. Jesus wants us to meet him because he is so great. This is a journey for the humble. But I should say that hopefully is encouraging for some of you who say, well, I don't have to think less of myself. I already do. <laughs> well, great. You're, you're in a good position. Don't, don't, don't worry about your estate in life. Jesus gives you the same offer as he gave these shepherds. Come meet me. Come meet the Savior of the world. But what kind of journey is this? You know, why would we want to go do this? Why would we want to meet this Savior? Well, that's number two. I don't know if my clicker is going to work. Oh, I might have. I don't know if I can go. There we go. This is a journey of glory. Here's why we want to go on this journey. It's a journey of glory. We see this in verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. I'll pause there. Multitude of the heavenly host. What is that talking about? Heavenly host. We don't use that word much anymore. Uh, this would be a heavenly army. That, that's the same word uh, in Greek as, as is used for army. We're talking thousands and thousands of angels praising God. It's been said uh, that, that, there, that one angel was enough to give this message, but it took a whole army of angels to proclaim his glory, to praise God. And here's what they say. Glory to God in the highest. Translation. This is a command and invitation, depending on how you look at it. This is a command to give glory to God. Glory to God in the highest. This is what we are told. I believe that truly the main reason people reject God and even Christians live a lackluster life, a... a, a not so powerful life is that we have a low view of God. We think maybe, maybe God is like an old grandpa in the sky. Maybe he's like a Greek God with a trident. Maybe he's weak and is trying to coerce us to serve him as though he needs help from us. Maybe he's just an egotistical jerk who wants our worship. No, you better, you better love me. I think that that's a lot of people, a lot of people's view of God if they believe there's a God at all. But what do the angels tell us about this God and about this Savior who is God in the flesh? Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. See, the angels are giving a qualification, a reason for giving this God the glory. Namely, 
He's in the highest. God is glorious. God is worthy of our attention, of our worship, of our praise, of thinking of him highly. God really is the highest. He is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. Literally spoke this world, this universe, galaxies into existence. Literally holds it all together by the power of his word. Anything in this world that is beautiful, that is true, that is enjoyable, that brings us pleasure, delight, comfort, is simply a reflection of God's glory in this created world. It is a, a fragment that he has infused into our world. This is the God in the highest. And this is the thing we were meant to live on and live for, is this glory, this God of glory in the highest. You know, I think about um, if, we, if you were to be working at a place and you have, you know, the main boss is telling you to do things. And, but, but maybe just one of your peers is saying, hey, no, you should do this. No, you should do this. You should do this. Things aren't going to go real well for you if you're listening to your peer rather than to your boss. But for many of us, that's exactly what we do. We take horizontal level influences, what this world tells us we should live for, what this world tells us we should spend our time, our money, our, our affections on. And because of that, our worlds are chaotic. Our lives are chaotic. Relationships, jobs, Sin infused in our lives and all of that is because we are looking to the wrong person we have made as the center of our universe the wrong things we've exchanged the creator for mere creation Romans 1 tells us but what we have here is glory to God in the highest. The glory of God is breaking in. He is here to be worshipped. You can finally start doing what you were created to do. To gaze upon, to love, to worship, to glorify this God in the highest. This is like starting to put real gasoline in the engines of our souls rather than whatever else we've been running on all this time this is like doing the thing we were created to do made to run on this and this glory this glory of God was coming in the person of Jesus Christ John 1 14 and the word became flesh that's the baby in the manger okay the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's what these shepherds were invited to do. Give glory to God because He is in the highest. Revelation 4.11 says of God, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This is what we are made to do 
And that's what this baby in the manger is about. It is about the glory of God breaking in to dwell among us and invite us to worship that glory. To see that glory and love it and find our deep joy and satisfaction in it. This is what we were created for. This is the journey these shepherds were put on. And this is the same journey we are put on. We are invited to go on. But it doesn't stop there. This next point kind of ties into that journey of glory. It is now, number three, a journey of peace. A journey of peace. We see again in verse 14, the angelic message. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. These two things go together. I want to say like peanut butter and jelly, but you might not like peanut butter and jelly. I don't know. These things are, are inextricable from one another. God's glory being worshipped and peace here on earth. I mean, you think about it, why do we need this peace? Is there something that's gone wrong? Is there some war going on? Yes, there absolutely is. The Bible talks about us, all of us. All of us have, have gone astray. We have made our own way. That is, God has given us a way and we've said, no, I'm not going to go on it. God has said, look to me for satisfaction. Look to me for worth and value. And we say, no, I'm going to find it in myself. I'm going to find it in my stuff. God gives commands even, says, don't do this. This is the way to live in my kingdom, which is the world. And we say, no, I'm going to make my own rules and abide by my own laws. I mean, that's rebellion. You do that in any civilized country, and you are considered a rebel. There is war. There is going to be strife. And that's each and every one of us, rebels against God, fighting against his kingdom, fighting against his uh, value systems, fighting against his commands. And our sins have made a separation between us and God, this God of glory. We need to understand too, for the Jewish people, and this again ties into the glory and what we were created to do, the Jewish understanding of peace is, is different than our understanding of peace. Um, it's just more extreme, it's more in depth. The, the, the Hebrew word is shalom, peace. And it's not just an absence of war and strife and fighting. That's not the, ex the full extent of peace. The, the full extent of this word shalom or peace in the Hebrew understanding, the Jewish understanding, is, is actually the right ordering of everything, right relationships, right functioning, or maybe we could say total harmony. You think about a symphony playing. There, there's, there's this uh, conductor, right, leading... And then 
There are the, the, the different people playing their different instruments, and they're all blending together with other instruments. And then even among those instruments, they're playing different things. They're, they're not all playing the same notes at the exact same time. It is a harmony. It all blends together. And if they're all following the conductor, it will be a beautiful, peaceful harmony. That is the meaning of shalom, just not with a symphony, but with life. You know why our lives sound like uh, more like a, a metal concert than a symphony? Because <laughs> we're not following the conductor. That's what happens when we rebel. You think about even in a symphony, one person decides, nope, I'm going to play my own song. I'm going to play my own thing. That harmony is lost. And so it goes in our own lives spiritually. When we are not focused on God, the glory of God, God in the highest, we will not have peace we are at war yes but even deeper than that there is no harmony in our lives because relationship with ourselves in god is broken relationship then with others is broken relationship with all of uh, god's created things is broken relationship with ourselves is broken but here we have the angelic mes message this journey that he wants the shepherds to go on Glory to God in the highest. Give him glory and on earth peace. When you are looking to God, focusing on his glory, you will have this peace. You will lay down your arms. You will begin to walk in step with his kingdom. You will begin following the conductor and harmony will begin in your life. But I must say, this is not the prosperity gospel. I'm not telling you that your life will become easy because you follow Jesus. I'm telling you it will be peaceful, a deep peace, a shalom type of peace. John 16, 33, Jesus kind of summarizes this idea. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In me, you may have peace. Now, now, in the world, you will have tribulation. But in me, you will have peace. Why? Because I have overcome the world. Your circumstances may, may come upon you. The waves may crash upon you. But I am the solid rock that you will have peace with the whole time. This is God. I mean, you think of another example, Philippians 4, 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything. So it's understood that there are anxiety-inducing situations and circumstances going on in our lives. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understandings, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you guys see that connection? That if it's a journey to true glory, to worship the God of the universe who deserves glory and honor and praise, that peace is the result. He is over, above, outside all creation. He orders all events. And so even when tribulation does come upon you, you can trust him. Because he has overcome the world. He's not only outside of our world, above it, but he has broken into our world and overcome it. That means that anything hard or difficult that comes into our lives, it is only by his hand allowing it, and he is allowing it for good. 
the Bible tells us. We can have peace. And by the way, I said uh, this uh, lack of peace, this fighting, when we're not following the, the conductor, it creates chaos. Guess what will happen when you start following the conductor, when you start giving him glory, focusing on his glory? You will begin to have peace not only with God, but with those around you. If strife is, is, is your calling card, then there's probably still strife going on between you and God. Because as the peace of God uh, uh, comes into our life, we make peace with those around us. Doesn't mean we never have bickering or arguments or anything like that. But there's this overarching peace that infiltrates our lives. And so this is a journey of peace. A journey of not just end of warring, but of shalom, of harmony, of a right ordering uh, in our lives. It's a beautiful thing. Again, these shepherds are called to this, and so are we. But there's one final thing I want to give you. Number four, this is a journey of faith. This is a journey of faith. You know, this verse 14, kind of the way it ends, is not the way you probably first think of it says um, glory to God in the highest and on and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased and it almost sounds awkward to say it because it's like well that's not how I remember that verse going let me read to you how you probably are used to hearing that glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men and on earth peace goodwill toward men that is uh, the King James version um, which almost every modern translation has um corrected that to say something very similar to what uh, I'm using the ESV here among those with whom he is pleased rather than peace on earth goodwill toward men and you know I, I think about it some of our uh, favorite Christmas hymns and carols are made off of that peace goodwill uh, toward men and it actually stinks there's a, a song I really wanted to play for a Christmas party but I, I didn't want to do it <laughs> because that line was in there uh, anyway I, I, I may split hairs um, but th there's a problem with it, okay? I think there is a problem with peace, goodwill toward men. Uh, at best, it's simply not grasping uh, what the angels and so God uh, are bringing to the shepherds, right? They're not, it's not the correct message from the angels. But at worst, it can create a terrible, destructive theology, because if Jesus comes and it's just good will toward men, all men, that can become a sort of universalism. Well, good will will come to you no matter what you believe, no matter how you live your life, no matter who you worship, no matter what you give glory. But the fact is, there is an offer of peace for all but only those who receive this offer will enjoy the peace. Only those who give glory to God will have this peace. The offer is for all, but applied only to those with whom God is pleased. So what, what is it? How, how can we know if we're one of the people who please God and therefore his, you know, uh, goodwill or 
peace is among those with whom he is pleased. How, how can I know that that peace is coming to me? In short, I would say we trust him. We have faith in him. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it is impossible to please him. We trust him. John uh, chapter 1 verses 11 through 14 he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to, be, to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, but, or the will of man, but of God. Mm, I missed the, the first part of that. There we go. Sorry, the true light is uh, just rewinding to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. There we go. That was the part I was looking for. Uh, John 3, uh, beginning in the second half of verse 18, says, Whoever does not believe, that's trust, is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Okay, here's what we have. This offer of now being able to worship the glory of God, to have the peace of God, is on the table. It's on the table for you, it's on the table for me, it was on the table for these shepherds. But here's the problem. Many people saw this light, this glory of God, and they said, I don't want it. I want my own deeds. I want to run my own life. I want to worship what I want to worship. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to be accountable to that God. So they reject the glory, and they do not receive the peace, and they continue at war with God, both now and for eternity. God will pour out the fullness of his wrath on those who continue in rebellion. But what we don't need to do, and or even try to do, is please God by our good works. I'll start acting like an ally. I'll start acting like an obedient servant. No, no, no. What we need is far more than that. We need to believe in the one who paid for our rebellion, who took that punishment upon himself, and then now makes us a friend of God. I read it a moment ago. Those who believe in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. John 1, 12. You need to understand that these shepherds had to make a choice. And so do you. The message comes to them. The message has come to you. The glory is revealed to them. The glory, hopefully right now, is being revealed to you. The peace is being offered. They had to make a decision. Let me think about this for a, a second. These shepherds, how could they have responded? What do we care about a baby? We're grown men. We're hardened, tough, field-living men. What do we care about a little baby? I mean, and this isn't even some baby that's born in a, 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 a 
a castle, you know. This is a baby that's born and laying in a manger, wearing swaddling cloths, not, not some nice robes or anything. Why do we care about that? They could have said, and compare this to your own life, we've got more important things to do. I've got a job to do, got sheep to keep, we've got plans that we've made, and if we go over to Bethlehem and, and see this child, like all my plans will be messed up. The plans I had for my life, for my family. They could have said, well, I mean, if we do this, we're going to look pretty silly. Okay, an angel told us to go find this baby, and this baby is the Savior, who is Christ the Lord, the anointed one of God. Like, that's a pretty big uh, um, claim. So if we do this, if we leave our sheep and we go, we're, we're going to look silly. We're going to have to like, ask around, hey, where's this baby that's been born? And well, why? Well, an angel told us to come, I, you know. You know what? Let's just, it'll be safer. My ego won't feel pain if I don't believe, if I don't go on this journey. People will laugh at us. We'll look crazy. And I, I don't want that. I don't want to feel silly. I don't want to be made fun of. Or they finally could have said this. If this really is the Son of God, then how could we possibly stand before him? I'm afraid of him. My, my, my evil deeds will be revealed, right? The light come into the world, but they love the darkness because their deeds were evil. Our evil deeds will be revealed, and I don't want that. I want to keep these things secret and hidden. But let's look at how the, the shepherds responded and how I hope we all either have responded and continue to, re to respond this way or maybe for the very first time respond this way. John... Uh, or sorry, Luke uh, 2, 15, our passage. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. So they told them about the angels. They, they're telling them it all. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them but mary treasured these things up pondering them in her heart and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising god for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them these shepherds had met the savior they had to believe that this really was better than keeping their good old life than keeping their comfortable life than keeping their ego their reputation intact they had to believe believing is the easiest thing and the hardest thing right we just believe just believe no no it's it's a, it's a believing that 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 takes the journey that goes with god that follows me as jesus says and it will often be difficult it will often make you look silly it will often be ruining your plans but the question is do you believe that it's worth it you say, well, I don't know. Remember, the glory of God. We were made to see and enjoy and run on the glory of God. And when we are doing that, when we are following the conductor of this universe, we will have peace. Is it worth it? It absolutely is.
So again, if, if, if some of you are hearing this today, and you're hearing Jesus call your name unto you who is born this day, if, 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 you, if Jesus is calling your name saying, hey, you've been in church your whole life, but you've never come to me, you've never met with me, I'd say today's the day, meet with him. He's saying, come to me. And then what do we need to do? Just believe on him. Believe that he is better than our lives, than being the ruler of our own lives. Believe in the king and let him rule. Believe that he's better than our sin. Believe that he has paid for your sin, covered over your sin on the cross and gives you his perfect, righteous life. And believe that by trusting in him, you can have eternal life because of what he has accomplished. But it won't be just a momentary thing. It will be a journey. It'll be a journey. The, just like the shepherds, they had to go, go worship, and then you can continue your life glorifying and praising God for all that you've heard and seen. Some of you, though, you know, you, you've been on this journey of faith, and, uh, but you saw a cool exit. <laughs> you know, may, I, I don't know. Sometimes we get, we get off the journey. We spend too long at the rest stops, and I just want to say to you, Focus your eyes back on the God of glory. Focus your eyes back on the God of glory. He is what you were made for. He really is God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. He deserves your attention. And that is the only way you will have true peace in your life. God gets the glory. We get the peace. God gets the worship. We get the joy. And all of that because this child is God who takes on our flesh, then will live this perfect life, but then will take on our sin so that we don't have to bear it. Christmas is an absolutely beautiful season. But it's not beautiful because the story of the shepherds is cute. It's beautiful because the story of the shepherds is glorious. Humble, lowly men called to meet the Savior, his glory, his peace. And we do that by faith. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you, thank you, thank you that you don't leave us in the field worried about our own things, worried about our own troubles, pursuing our own uh, desires. But God, you speak to us. You call our names personally unto you who is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And God, we have even the more full revelation than the shepherds had because we have seen this Savior grow up and live that perfect life, worship you perfectly, do your will at every step, and then be crucified, bearing the weight of our sin, dead, and then rising again. And you tell us, as you call us, again, so much more than the shepherds, you call us, say, hey, look upon the finished work of this Savior and believe.
Believe that you can worship my glory again. Believe that you can have my type of peace. And do it by faith. God, save sinners and sanctify saints, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and join me with a chorus of uh, Goats Out on the Mountain. occurs to me even as I uh, hear that song as the angel uh, came to them we can be that same messenger for other people that uh, through us Jesus calls them uh, to come and worship him and so I hope we can be that in this Christmas season I hope uh, to see you tonight uh, for our Christmas party as we uh, celebrate 